Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges, and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you may be. Scott Luton and Kevin L. Jackson with you here on Supply Chain. Now, welcome to today's show. Kevin, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great. We all made it to the other side. It's 2024. <laughs> <laughs> By the skin of our teeth, perhaps. I don't know. Now, we were talking pre-show, Kevin, and I got to ask Does you about he? this. You were telling us pre-show something about whether texts count when you reach out and say Happy New Year or other things to people. What's your vote there? Well, actually, nowadays, you got to figure out, I have a tally, right? See someone, I check it that I said Happy New Year because you you, you never know. But the, the question is, if you say Happy New Year in an email or a text, do you still have to say it when you, you know, either virtually talk to someone or you meet them in real life? Does the text or the email count? We're going to have to defer to the governmental agency that government, that regulates <laughs> this. But yeah. man, if you're keeping track of all that, <laughs> I bet you're using AI in some way, shape, or form to keep you track of all those folks you're out there talking with. But Kevin, all of that, be that as it may, we have got an outstanding conversation here today. We're going to be talking about a big trend impacting global business everywhere. Of course, that will be automation. But in particular, we're diving deep into the topic of modern, innovative warehouse robotics to include how companies are leveraging warehouse robotics these days. What does the ROI look like? And one of my favorite parts here, we're going to get some expert advice for those leaders out there that are looking to implement warehouse robotics in their own operations. So all that and a lot more here today. Kevin, you ready for the show? Well, you know, I'm really looking forward to understanding the difference between having warehouse automation with robotics and robotic process automation, which kind of confuse a lot of people. I think that's, this is an important point that we have to talk about. Kevin, excellent point. And, and if it confuses technology gurus like the one and only Kevin L. Jackson, I bet it confuses <laughs> plenty of folks out there. So you're in the right place here today. All right. So I'm going to welcome in. We've got two outstanding featured guests here today. I want to welcome in them. Our first guest, Kevin, spent over 25 years working within all areas of the supply chain with a big primary focus on the design and installation of complex automated solutions. I want to welcome in Stephen Osborne, Managing Director at Accenture. Stephen, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Scott. Wonderful to see you. I've enjoyed talking with you already. And the other half of the dynamic duo that we're talking to here today, joining Stephen, our second guest, brings more than 20 years of experience working in international logistics and technology from startups to Fortune 500. He's been making it happen. I want to welcome in Andy Williams, Executive Vice President of Sales North America at Exotech. Andy, how you doing? Great, Scott. Good to be here today. Great to talk with you as well. Kevin, I'm excited about what Andy and Stephen brings to the table, aren't you? Well, actually, the way automation and robotics are changing every industry, especially in warehousing and, and distribution. I've been looking forward to this for a while. Me too, my friend, me too. So before we get into all that good stuff, see, Kevin is already chomping at the bit to get into the, the technical and the technological <laughs> complex part of the conversation. I'm still at, let's get to know Andy and Steve a little better and done a little homework, Kevin. Our team's done mm -hmm. a little homework about some of the things that Stephen and Andy are up to when they're not making big things happen across global supply chain. And for you, Andy, we've heard one of your passions is fly fishing, especially in places like Wyoming and Alaska. Tell us more about that. Yeah. You know, recently I convinced my wife to go to Alaska with me mm. for a few days, two of which included floating on the Kenai River. And she had never done it, but she loved it. It's just a great way to relax and really unplug and not think about uh, warehouses or robotics. For a little <laughs> Man, Andy, that is awesome. Kevin, have you ever been to Alaska? I've been to Alaska. I spent some time up in uh, ADAC when I was in Shimia, out on the chain, not in, the, I guess, the mainland Alaska. <laughs> okay. All right. It's really a unique environment, unique culture. I learned a lot while I was there. Okay. Well, I'm behind the times. I hadn't been to Alaska yet. We're going this summer oh. with one part of my family. So Andy and Kevin will all exchange stories. How's that sound? Perfect. 
I was saying my father did a, a cruise in Alaska. He loved it, you know, looking at the icebergs and uh, the blue ice. He said yeah. it was just amazing. Well, you're going to have to show me some of those pictures. I bet you got 137 PowerPoint slides maybe from that <laughs> cruise. But that's kind of what we're going to be doing. And before I flip over to Stephen, Andy, one more question. What is your biggest prized catch in all your fly fishing experiences? Ooh, that's a great question. I would say that it was actually on this past Alaska trip, caught about a 12 or 14 pound rainbow trout. Yeah. Man, okay. You got to be taking your vitamins to reel that thing in. Yeah, I hope it wasn't a catch and release. <laughs> it was, it was, it is. <laughs> oh, God, right. I love trout. But you took a picture, right? You took a picture, <laughs> so it happened. You got proof. We have... We have Evidence, correct, yes. All right, Stephen, we got to bring you into the conversation because y'all got something in common. Because, you know, when you're not out making things happen across global business, anything with a boat gets your attention. That's where you spend some time, especially, Stephen, surfing with the kids. Tell us more about that. Yeah, so I grew up on the water, and once we moved to Atlanta, I felt a little landlocked, so quickly convinced my wife we needed to get some lake time. Since then, we've had a boat. I've raised my kids surfing, go out to Lake Oconee all the time, and it's become my happy place, and I look like a good dad because it's also my kids' happy place, so (laughs) it's been great. Hey, a twofer. Yeah. I like it, Stephen. And Kevin, uh, you shared pre-show one of your favorite things to do on a boat, a catamaran, I think, as you put it, is taking yes. a snooze. Is that right? Yes, just laying on a catamaran in the middle of the lake and just uh, relaxing and for letting the world go away, oh. just, just drifts away. Oh, I love it. <laughs> love it, man. Love it. All right. As much as I would love to dive into more stories, uh, but really between all three of y'all, because there's a lot more there, we got to get to work. We got a lot to get into, especially in the warehouse robotics space. So I want to start with giving some context to our global audience. So Andy, with that in mind, tell us some more about what Exotech does. Exotech was founded around seven years ago, and we're a warehouse robotics company. Now we're active globally. We main design and manufacture some of the key components of our solutions that we offer. And, and that's really what we are at the end of the day as a solutions provider. So we also integrate other robotics, third-party equipment into our solutions. And in some cases, there may be partner companies that integrate our technology. And that's kind of how we go to market. Mm. And mapping all that stuff out and getting it integrating and all playing nice in the sandbox, is that one of your favorite components of what you do, Andy? It absolutely is. I still really enjoy the sitting down with customers and trying to solve problems and utilizing this great creative team we have here to solve you know, some really impactful and meaningful challenges that our uh, customers have. Well said. And Kevin, meaningful and impactful. Kevin, my brain goes to consequential, which is a <laughs> term we've used dozens of times on some of our shows together, Kevin, right? Yeah, absolutely. What I find though is when it comes to technology, a lot of people just want to spend money on the brightest object out there. So when they actually do it, it doesn't change their operations. It's not consequential, as as you said. So I, I like that, you know, focus on being meaningful and impactful. That's right. And driving outcomes. And speaking of, Stephen, you've spent your career driving big outcomes. A lot of folks probably listening, oh, I know Accenture. Uh, but Stephen, tell us about what you do in your role there. Yeah, so I head up our distribution automation group. Within that group, we do everything from design to full implementation of automated solutions. When our clients have a challenge, if there are solutions in the market that will solve that challenge, we can help them find the right solution and put that solution in. If solutions don't exist, we can help them create something customized to kind of fill the gaps where it may not be an industry-wide problem and it may be a client-specific problem. And our goal is to really help them take it from concept all the way through to full implementation. So we work with them throughout, both on the hardware side and the software side. Man, Kevin, if I had a headache, what Stephen just shared there makes it just like dissipate, right? Because I need help with selection, need help with implementation, and maybe even some aftercare. Kevin, your thoughts? Well, first of all, the distribution space has gone through just uh, tremendous changes over the last few years as the whole process of buying and distributing and on a global basis has gone through fits and changes. And one of the things I wanted to sort of pull the string on there with you, Stephen, though, is specifically around the warehouse space. That 
actual has changed as we've gone into e-commerce and uh, the need to make sure that you could have electronic connectivity with your audience and be able to track across the entire supply chain. Where's my stuff, Kevin, right? Yeah, where's my stuff? So what are some of the observations and trends that you have found interesting in the last year or so as we've come out of the uh, pandemic? I'll go a little pre-pandemic first. I grew up in retail. So retail went through this transformation a while ago. The first DC I designed was back in 2002, and it was an e-commerce DC. Then retail kind of went through that omni-channel shift. All of that focused on getting the inventory. Over time, it focused on getting the inventory closer to the customer and handling smaller orders. Instead of, you know, full cases going to DCs and stores, you were doing individual Mm -hmm. packages going to customers. I think the rest of the industries have kind of caught up with that. So now at Accenture, it's less retail focused and more kind of across all our clients. And we're seeing the same transformation that retail started, you know, 15, 20 years ago. We're seeing all industries having to deal with that same problem because at the end of the day, every executive is typically also a customer of some of these companies that have really gotten it right. The information, push, Mm. all of that. So people have expected, they want to know where their stuff is. (laughs) (laughs) So the whole idea of pick and pack has really changed. So uh, Andy, what have you seen? Yeah, I think... uh... Coming out of the pandemic, right? I mean, during the pandemic, there was obviously an extreme focus on Mm e-commerce, maybe even got a little overheated, you know? So e-commerce is still, I think, a big driver for things. We still have this incredible labor shortage that's out there as a tailwind for the whole market, and that continues to drive these projects forward. And I think the other thing kind of would agree with Steve there, new industries, right? I mean, you think about history and and retail went through their wave, Mm -hmm. but we had maybe this pure play e-commerce wave that went through. And now you see automotive with this kind of aging supply chain, you know, legacy and beverage companies and other industries really modernizing their supply chains now as well. Wow, yeah, that's amazing. You know, well said, picking up on that, I was reading here, Kevin, recently about the labor shortage, of course, which is impacting so many businesses, whether you're in warehouse or manufacturing or many other aspects, right? And one of the ways, of course, we've talked about it, Kevin, I don't know, hundreds of times is, is leveraging outcomes-driven automation, right, to help the talent gap that we're all experiencing. You know, big companies like Kimberly-Clark, I think they had 30 warehouse robots prior to the pandemic. Now they have over 300 across their North American footprint that's helping that big company get around uh, labor challenges. Kevin, you know, it's a refrain. It's been around for years now, huh? I think that's, it's an important aspect, but it's also a lot of people are afraid of this transition because if, you know, all they hear is that you're getting rid of my job and a robot is taking over. One of the things I've really noticed, though, is that people are being transitioned to jobs that people do much better, that robots can't do. And I think that's really the important concept that has to be hammered in to across every industry. Well said, Kevin. And that's such a great segue. I bet Andy and Stephen both have plenty to talk about (laughs) when it comes to the collaboration opportunities that will empower the human element, but also allow organizations to take full advantage of the automation opportunities out there. So let's talk about it. The rise of automation, the tidal wave of automation. You know, this isn't anything new. Been around for years and years. We're seeing some great advancements and a lot more innovation. And so when it comes to Automation in warehouses. Let's talk a little more about that. So, Andy, what is, you touched on a couple of topics that are really fueling warehouse leaders to embrace automation more and more. Of course, labor being one of them. What else are you seeing out there that's really driving this tidal wave of practical automation is what I'll call it? Great question. If you look at the evolution of warehouse technology, I refer to it as fixed automation and then kind of robotics automation inside the warehouse, right? And there's a significant difference and what that means and and how flexible the system can be. And what it's started to reveal over the past five years is that entirely new 
capabilities can be unlocked in the supply chain, right? And for the the savviest leaders out there you know, are taking advantage of it and saying, hey, I no longer need a retail, wholesale, and e-commerce warehouse. I can potentially do those together in one facility, right? Or I can achieve some new functionalities that I didn't know were possible, like arranging things inside a, a box differently or onto a pallet differently, providing transportation savings in the supply chain. And I might be able to do all of that in just a quarter of the footprint that I could even 10 years ago. And so having all of that power and then being able to move it closer to the customer or closer to a manufacturing site where I can have a reduced level of inventory in the building can have a really massive impact on the SLAs that you have internally your customers, and of course, your costs. So I think the equation for ROI evaluation has changed a little bit. And it includes some thinking that's around differentiating the business and gaining customers, increasing market share. It's a way to outmaneuver your competition. All right, Andy, I feel like I just earned a mini MBA with your last <laughs> response. I was trying to fast and furiously keep up. And Kevin, I'm going to get Stephen to weigh in, and then I'm going to get your thoughts too. But you know, Stephen, Beyond the labor shortage, right? We know that's one of the big reasons that is driving automation. But some of the things Andy was talking about, you know, the agility gains, right? Of course, uh, heightened service abilities, profitability, gaining market share. All of that's fueling leaders to embrace more automation in their warehouses. Stephen, what would you add to that? Yeah, I think Andy touched on it. I'll go a little deeper on just that flexibility concept. You know, I think what COVID taught us was if I have you know, a purpose-built DC that is handling, you know, full cases, getting them to the store, and all of a sudden my volume shifts to e-commerce, that DC is not really that helpful to me. Whereas if I can build out my network so I have flexible nodes within the supply chain that when when I need that full case volume, I can support it. But when I need the piece pick volume, I can support that as well. Being able to kind of flex your individual nodes to support all areas of the business is a huge benefit to your kind of responsiveness to the current needs of the business. And I think is absolutely playing a big part in a lot of these kind of ROIs that we're looking at now with our clients. Steven, excellent point. And if we've learned anything coming out of the pandemic... Man, we've always valued flexibility, but goodness gracious, haven't we doubled down on the importance of flexibility in our organizations since the pandemic? And then secondly, I know I mentioned earlier, big companies taking advantage of automation. I bet one of the things we're going to talk about here in a little bit is how companies of all sizes are really looking at automation opportunities in new ways. Kevin, you heard Andy and Steven talk about what's fueling yeah. automation in our warehouses. What else would you add there, Kevin? Well, First of all, when I hear them, you know, I think about uh, physical robotics, you know, the little things running around the uh, DC floor, moving pallets here or picking and packing. But just to play a little buzzword bingo here, what about RPA or robotic process automation? Because that's more along the lines of software. So it's not physical robotics. It's like software robotics. How do these things work together? Or do they complement or do they compete? If I can, Kevin, that's an excellent question. I'm just going to roll that into what I was going to ask Andy and Steven next. And Andy, you kind of prefaced it a few minutes ago about legacy automation versus robotics versus some of the things that Kevin's talking about. Tell us more about comparing and contrasting between that and RPA and any shifts that you're seeing out there in industry, Andy. Yeah. Rewind the clock. And if I wanted to do a purpose-built warehouse and to automate it and make it as efficient as possible, mm -hmm. then I would have to use some really heavy machinery and a lot of steel to do it. And it would be a very highly engineered, very specific design to solve that problem. And you know, as we kind of alluded to here, all we know when we do those designs, they're based upon a whole list of assumptions and prognostications, five, 10 years in the future. And we know that they're always wrong. Yes. <laughs> and so that really has led to the, the rise of these re flexible robotic solutions. And I think that's probably the biggest trend. I mean, if you look at the data in terms of, you know, 
all of the projects that are being done more and more. And it's only accelerating any type of automation project that's being done, featuring more and more robotics. So generally, Kevin, to answer your question, we are talking about physical robots at the end of the day. Now, that's not to understate the importance of the software because the software is the orchestration for all of the movements. It interfaces to you know the website, the order management system, the ERP, all of that flows down and eventually manifests itself in these physical movements. So the software stack above the actual robotics is incredibly important. And many of those uh, software you know, modules do feature some sort of robotics process automation, but, you know, generally I kind of think of them as two different things. I don't know about you, Steve. Well, Stephen, let's get, let's let's get into way in here. What do do you (laughs) see in the two part question, Stephen, just to kind of repackage it as our listeners are are following along, you know, legacy automation versus robotics, and then speak more to how Andy views RPA kind of fitting into the mix. Okay. So I'll start with the first one. Although the second one, I'm chomping at the bit to get to, but I'll start (laughs) with the first question. I think there's a mix of solutions in the market right now where I think clients have to look at earlier, Kevin mentioned the shiny new toy (laughs) and shiny new toys. A lot of those sit kind of in that robotics section, but the shiny new toy is really not that useful unless it's solving your business problems. So you start with the business problems you figure out what's the level of solution, whether it be robotics, whether it be traditional automation that solves for that. So it's really kind of got to be a package solution or it's got to be a solution that encompasses all of the problems of the business that addresses all of that. Normally, it's not a one or the other. It's how do the two fit together? And then that's where I think Andy mentioned the software. Kevin has the question about RPA. I think the software is really a key component of it. And you've got really two levels of software that we're talking about. You've got the software that makes all of that automation work together. So as Andy said, you need something that makes the robots work, but you also Mm -hmm. need something that brings all of the automation that sits outside of the robotics. You need something that pulls all that together. So that's a key component of software. The other side is earlier I mentioned where sometimes we have to fill the gap. And that Mm -hmm. is in that you know, process automation where there may not be a specific solution out there that puts the right information in their hands and helps them make the right decision quickly. But when you have a hundred, two hundred and fifty million dollars worth of automation in a warehouse, the delays in those decisions can be really costly. So it makes sense to put a solution in that helps people, gives them the right information, helps them make the right decisions. And once you've built those solutions, you can start automating parts of that decision-making process to get the best use out of all that automation that you put in. Kevin, your response to what Andy and Stephen have been speaking to kind of your question and, and then some. No, absolutely. It's well said. I mean, it's a choreography, I think, between the, the physical robotics and the software-based robotic process automation But you also have to put in there that interface between the RPA and and the customer, the RPA, and the robots. So it's it's really a choreography, I believe, that's that's critical in all of this in order to be consequential. Yes. Gosh, I feel like I'm the only person here without a PhD in advanced (laughs) technology and mathematics as I hear three of y'all talking about these solutions. But I like your point, though, Stephen about that shiny object syndrome, because in this world, this beautiful world of technology, right, that so many companies are using it really effectively to empower their human element, which we're real passionate about. Still business leaders, all of us, maybe all four of us guilty here, can see something really cool and then try to find a solution for the latest, this really cool technology. It happens. It's part of us being human, right? Yeah. Okay. So we're going to keep zeroing in a little bit further, talking more warehouse robotics, because there's no shortage of really cool stuff going on there. So when we talk about, and Stephen, I'm going to continue down this path with you here, the current state of warehouse robotics and the changes in industry that these innovative approaches are driving. What are some of your thoughts there, Stephen? So if you look at the solutions that are available now, Earlier, you know, I talked about us filling the gaps. There's not a lot of gaps when you look at the automated solutions on the market. You know, there's about to be a big material handling show coming up. You can walk that floor and you can see a hundred different solutions that are out there that are kind of robust and, you know, throughout the industry, you can see a hundred emerging technology solutions. I think 
what people really need to focus on is, again, I go back to what's the business need that they need to solve for? And then who are the companies that are out there that have done it before? You know, they really have a solid track record of good implementations, because especially in the robotics world where you have a lot of kind of really purpose-built systems, you shouldn't be out there creating version 1.0 of a solution that handles piece picking. Mm-hmm because yeah. there's some great solutions in the market that handle piece picking. So I think robotics has basically solved a lot of the problems people need to solve. You just got to find the right application for it. So before I get Andy to talk about that, Stephen, I want you to encourage you to preach it a little bit louder for the folks in the back. <laughs> Kevin, you and me and Greg have talked a lot about this, about if you're going to go down that treacherous path <laughs> of building your own, gosh, you better have really done your homework Stephen, because it can be a little bit more than moving mountains, huh? Absolutely. So I grew up in retail in the early 2000s where almost everything, even my early days building a warehouse management system, you were building it from scratch almost all the time. The good news is we've moved way beyond that. So there's tons of solutions in the market. The bad news is figuring out which one is right for you is a process. Well, the good news is we're going to touch on that in a, in a moment as we get towards the latter part of the, our interview here today to get some of your suggestions there. Andy, uh, Stephen was talking about kind of the current state of warehouse robotics, some of the you know, change the industry is really driving. And also what I heard him touch on is the need to conduct the selection part of the whole process. That's as timeless as plenty of other things out in the industry. But gosh, maybe that need has gone even it's gotten more urgent with all the plethora of options out there. Andy, speak about the current state, maybe, of what we're talking about here when it comes to warehouse robotics. Yeah, I kind of echo some of these sentiments. I think about it from a customer's standpoint. You know, it's a little bit overwhelming. You know, I, I wake up every day and have for years. You know, understanding all these markets and emerging technologies, but it, it's it's difficult to separate the wheat from the chaff. You know, and and also to determine, hey, is this actually going to solve my real problem. Now, having said that, I you know, think of maybe you know, seven, eight years ago, a lot of robotics companies, warehouse robotics companies started. I think a few have begun to mature and you know, pull away. And we've seen some really thoughtful focuses on creating a product, which is important, right? Because when you're coming in and, and need to have really highly reliable performance, you know, knowing that this software has been deployed many times before and that this exact same system you know, has been successful, eases implementation, uh, takes a lot of the anxiety out of the equation. And it puts a little bit less of a burden on, on you yourself to be an expert. All of that to say, you know, I think software just keeps on taking on more and more importance. And, you know, I, I would encourage anyone out there that uh, is, is having difficulty assessing the market or understanding their problem or finding the right solution, get some help. There are a lot of experts out there and it's well worth the time and money to get some assistance and understanding how to put it all together. Good stuff, Andy. Go out, do your homework, find some trusted experts. And if you're going to build your own, know what you're biting off. As beautiful of a thing with all these great options, all this expertise, but it just makes our job of making decisions harder, maybe. I don't know. Let's talk about this current generation of robotics because we're seeing a lot of evolution there. So, Stephen, I'll start with you. When you think of the innovations that we're seeing in this current generation of robotics, not what we saw you know, five years ago, maybe, what do you see in there? I think Andy alluded to it a little bit earlier, but it is the kind of the package solutions. So there's a lot more solutions in the market now that do a really good job of kind of creating a product that does almost the same thing in each warehouse. So if you go back 10 years ago, and I'm taking you on a DC tour, we go into a DC (laughs) and I'll I'll constantly be saying, you're not going to be doing this, picture this a little bit differently. If you go on a tour like that today, you got to be a little bit worried because today the partners that you select, hopefully they've done this 10, 15, a thousand times, and Mm -hmm. they're able to take you to places that have solved the core part of your solution the same way in the past as they're proposing that they do with you, which there may be some outlying cases where there may be some outlying challenges you have in your business that are unique, 
but you want that core part of the solution to be something that's tried and true, which is really, I think that's the biggest advancement that we've seen is these companies have kind of productized their core solution, takes away the risk, takes away the implementation time, makes it kind of a smoother ride to get to kind of final solution. I like it. We are looking for a smoother ride. And I like how you kind of talked about it, kind of phrased it with a DC tour in mind. Those DC distribution center tours better look a lot different (laughs) than they did look 10 years ago. So otherwise we're sitting on our hands. Andy, same question to you. Talk about this current generation of robotics and where you're seeing innovations bring the most value. The thing that stands out to me the most, you know, if if I would rewind the clock uh, 15 years ago and think about uh, how we'd try to solve these problems and and design the systems, you know, a lot of times we'd end up doing this, this system that still required a lot of people, a massive building, right? And it was extremely expensive. And, you know, if I look at basically solving that same problem now, you know, you can do it in such a smaller space with a lot fewer people and comparatively a lot lower investment level as well. And also do that in a flexible way that guards against these uncertain, you know, times that are ahead of us in the future. So quite simply, I think that the performance per square foot, if you want to think about it, just quite simply has has changed dramatically. And, you know, it just takes a little bit of a difference there. And then, you know, we can have our DC maybe you know, 10 miles north of Atlanta, as opposed to 50 miles south of Atlanta, that might make a big, big difference to what we could offer our customers. Oh, I love it. And again, flexibility is one of the themes we're talking about. Now, Kevin, Mm -hmm. my hunch is you've got a question about managing change. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, absolutely. Because change is constant, right? No matter what you're doing, it's going to change as you move forward. And in fact, 10 years ago, I would think that the DCs would be full of people wearing exoskeletons instead of little, you know, boxes running around on on wheels. So how does a manager deal with change as we're moving forward? Is it either people or robots or is it merging? Steve? Yeah. So I would say the way that companies implement this, the way that successful companies implement this They've got to be really careful because this is, it's not an engineering project. It's not an IT project. There are huge engineering components. There are huge IT components, but it is a change project. You're transforming the way that you perform work within the DC. You've got to bring your people along for that journey. So the earlier you get those people involved, the more often they're involved throughout the project the better the solution's going to be. Because at the end of the day, every solution that Andy and I implement together or separate, we're not the smartest people on that customer's business. That customer is the people on the floor who've been picking the orders are. So you've got to get your people involved early and often and keep them involved throughout. Yeah, it sounds like Stephen's talking about the with him. (laughs) Yes. Yes. What's in it for me, right, Kevin? We love our acronyms around here. That's one of my favorites. So, all right, so Andy, managing change, the human element, you know, what are some of your thoughts there, Andy? Yeah, these initiatives are big changes. And I think it's important to take a kind of 360 degree perspective when you're thinking about potentially implementing warehouse robotics. And what does that mean? Well, it impacts and touches all these different areas of the business. You know, um, for example, my purchasing department, you know, they may have been used to doing things a certain way before, and maybe that doesn't make as much sense now. It can be a little bit different. The IT flows are all very connected together, right? And so I need to make sure that my IT group is on board from kind of day one. I've got cybersecurity issues that probably weren't as big of a deal five years ago that are now extremely important. So getting all your stakeholders together early on and kind of brainstorming and thinking through how it's going to impact everybody, what it means that we could do a little bit differently is very, very important. As to the people aspect, you can also look at it that you know these robotics are increasing productivity, right? They're, they're empowering people to do more and in more ergonomic way, an easier way. And, you know, that's not a bad thing, right? That's a good thing. That's a good, that's a very good message. And, you know, I, I think it's important to have a system that, you know, together with people can just 
shift. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steve mentioned, you know, from from retail to e-commerce, but volumes can fluctuate wildly. So ha- have it designed from the beginning to be able to accommodate a very wide range of scenarios. So come at it from that being one of your design requirements. Say, I'm not trying to hit a bullseye. I want to I want to cover this broad range of what if scenarios. And then that way we're safeguarded against these, you know, external supply chain disruptions or whatever there may be that we don't know about in the future. Mm. All right, Kevin, I got a checklist of everything Andy just shared there. I bet several of his responses kind of made your ears perk up your thoughts before we move into some some stories. Well, actually, you know, I really like the way he was focusing on outcomes because that's that's where the rubber meets the road. Okay. So, you know, I was wondering, could you maybe share some of the stories where House Robotics really drove supply chain transformation? Absolutely. One story that comes to mind is for a large apparel Mm -hmm. retailer that, you know, about five years ago started to realize that they could do things much differently if they adopted robotics technology. And their approach was a very smart one. They said, hey, if we took our supply chain now, just the current snapshot of it, and then we have this robotics technology that we really like, what if we kind of remapped it out, redid it based upon that technology? What would it mean? After doing that, they said, hey, how do we make every one of the systems exactly the same and make sure that all of the software is identical for all of them? And they were able to do that. And I think that was 15 warehouses again. Yeah. Been able to have a tremendous impact to you know not only their, their bottom line, but were able to combine their retail and e-commerce operations, you know, realize productivity enhancements, you know, maybe 400% mm. compared to what they were doing. Impressive. Before really impactful stories out there. And there are many others like it. 400%. Man, Kevin, talk about outcomes, 400%. And it sounds like as they take the solution and apply it warehouse by warehouse, there's a friend of mine used to say, saving the world one warehouse at a time. (laughs) And it sounds like that's exactly what this apparel company is doing, Andy. And if I'm not mistaken, as I was doing some homework around Exotech, I mean, from apparel like you're talking about to F&B, medical devices, retail, you name it, sounds like y'all have worked really across the board in all kinds of sectors. Is that right, Andy? It is, yeah. We've touched seemingly every industry, I'd say, at this point. We had the advantage uh, when we created our you know, kind of core technology, it was done with a lot of these characteristics in mind, like mm-hmm. flexibility, how do we have the broadest range of applicability? How many different carton types or tote types or load units can we handle? And it was from day one set designed around what's the broadest use case we can make and how can we be as flexible as possible for all these industries and not have these different bespoke you know, elements of the system that would lead us down the project path because we really want to stay as a product company. So, Stephen, and then Kevin, I'm going to get you to weigh in after Stephen's comments here. Stephen, I bet you're chomping at the bit because you in particular, Stephen, strike me as a bottom line individual. And if it ain't, you know, if, <laughs> if we're not getting the benefits we need to get, we're going to have a conversation. Stephen, correct me if I'm wrong. And also talk to some of the case studies out there that you may be seeing warehouse automation really move the needle like Andy's talking about. Yeah, so I would say what's changed over the last couple of years when you look at the business case and kind of the benefits case for these things, labor's always been a component. I think now people are realizing that it's not just a cost component, it's a business continuity component. So the case studies that, you know, or the looking back on some of our clients that have been on this journey for the last five plus years, one of the big benefits that they're getting out of this is that they can do more with less. As Andy said earlier, they can do more within the same footprint. Some of the things that they're finding, though, is it's not just within the four walls of the DC. Andy mentioned kind of getting the rest of the business involved. So the transforming your network to figure out if I can adjust buying patterns and I have this node at the front of my supply chain that is really fast and nimble and can handle all the business that I can throw at it, my buyers can buy less inventory. Well, that needs to be a part of the business case. I don't need as much of an HR staff to support these buildings because turnover is less and I have less people. That needs to be a part of the business case. So I would say a lot of our clients are starting to realize that this is a business transformation. It's not just a labor play. And when you look at the benefits of those that have done it well in the past, 
they're seeing benefits across the organization. Well said, Stephen. All right, Kevin, respond to what we heard there from Andy and Stephen in terms of the case study, the business case that's to be had for investing into successful warehouse automation. Well, I hear a focus on standardization across all of the, the DCs. I mean, it was a while ago, but every distribution center was different because it had a have sort of a regional flavor to support what was going to be based upon the buying characteristics of a particular region. But what I hear is that you need to have consistent processes, not only within your data center, but across the different nodes of your network. And I think that's important. Agreed. And also, it's not just supply chain transformation, it's truly business transformations, what Andy and Stephen both spoke to, and, and really taking that holistic approach into the very first conversation as you set out to, what are we trying to do here, right? What's our problem, right? And then applying that and bringing everybody to the table. You know, Andy, Kevin, Andy touched on cyber, yeah, right? And goodness gracious, if we thought we've had it challenging the last few years or just wait, right? And so making sure we have every component that needs to be at the table to have a full conversation is so important. Okay. So much to talk about. So little time. I want to get into costs and benefits and to hit that 400% productivity gain there, Andy, that you threw out. Man, that is quite a huge impact. You know, what does that return on investment time frame look like? So, Andy, let's stick with you. What do you see in costs and benefits and ROI timeframes? What are some of your observations there? Yeah, you know, it, it it largely depends on how you, you know, evaluate your IRR or ROI just based on the warehouse itself, right? If you would even just isolate it to within the four walls, I think you can see uh, an ROI of two yeah. years. Uh, you know, on on most of these systems. So that's already a relatively straightforward decision for most companies to make. But the bigger part of it is, you know, when you bring in those other factors, you know, like if I can reduce my inventory level substantially, then wow, you know, that's that's a big bottom line impact. And you know, if I can arrange my packages in such a way that my bread truck yes. or my route truck can you know, save 20% on their fuel and do all of their stops a couple of hours you know, faster, that's an amazing impact. If I can arrange the items inside a carton that's delivered to a store to match the planogram in an aisle and reduce labor inside the store by 30%, then wow, what an impact. So many times, my point is that many times, you know, as soon as the, the system gets up to volume, you're going to be seeing an, an ROI essentially immediately, right? Because of all of the different impacts that you can really um, touch. Uh, Andy, I, I can appreciate that. Steven, your comments around cost versus benefits, return on investment, you name it. What are you seeing? Yeah, so I, I'd support Andy's comments that within two years is definitely possible, especially if you're going to have to build something anyway and you're looking at manual versus automation, then those paybacks can be pretty quick. The way to get that payback as fast as possible is I'll continue to, as you said earlier, I'll continue to shout it so that those in the back can hear. You've got to get everybody in the business involved. As Andy said, like store-friendly pallets are one of those things that we've been chasing for years. If you can actually get that, if you can get it so that the person at the store is just opening the box right in front of the location and you've taken out that replenishment labor, a lot of times those savings don't get baked into the business case, but they can be huge. And to Andy's point earlier, they can really shrink that time frame so that from day one, you're seeing huge benefits across the business. I like that, Stephen. And you're making it easier on our people to be successful. That's so critical. All right. So Kevin, we're going to get some additional expertise mm-hmm. from Stephen and Andy in a second, especially focused on those folks that are looking to make the investment in warehouse robotics. But before we pose a couple of questions there, Kevin, Got to ask you, are you writing that check and signing off on this big old change management project to gain that 400% productivity gains and a whole lot more, Kevin? Yeah. Well, the thing I sort of see is that the ROI comes from a focus on the details. And that means really understanding 
the business, understanding what details matter and what are just a nuisance. And this robotics or this approach of automation and robotics really address the details that deliver large ROIs. I like that. So you're writing the check, right, Kevin? <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> hey, I am too. I've really enjoyed Stephen and Andy, what y'all are bringing here today and and all the work you are doing out there helping organizations, their leadership and their people to navigate. You know, it's never easy. That's kind of why folks sign up to do global supply chain. Nothing's easy, right? We're problem solvers, but doing business differently as I'm hearing a lot from Andy and Stephen here. All right. Couple of key considerations we want to get both of y'all to speak to here today as we start to wrap up today's interview. And Stephen, I'm going to start with you with this next question. What's one piece of advice that you'd offer up to business leaders that are, again, looking to write that their own check and invest in warehouse robotics? One piece of advice, Stephen. To keep it simple, I would say involve the entire organization from step one, right? From understanding the business needs all the way through to implementation. You've got to make sure that it's Again, it's not an engineering project. It's not an IT project. It spans all areas of the organization. The earlier you do that and the more you do that, the bigger the benefit in the end. Well said, Stephen. All right, Andy, what's your one piece of advice? Well, Steve took mine. So I would um, <laughs> say that don't, don't underestimate the software. You know, making sure that the software stack is understood. It's going to be connected. It's going to work well together. There's a robust plan for testing all of it and making sure it's a reliable product, right? That's a lot of the risk at the end of the day, at least historically in these projects has been on the software side. And it tends to be the area that's most frequently overlooked because you can't see it uh, as easily, right? Lessons learned over in a couple decades, keep an eye on the software. And if you don't understand it well enough with your internal resources, get Ooh. help to make sure that you understand it. Well said. And be ready to fill that gap that both of y'all were speaking about earlier to optimize that orchestration. I love that word. That's back to buzzword bingo. <laughs> I love orchestration. It's just, it paints such a picture. Kevin, I'm going to get you to weigh in after I pose this uh -huh. next question to Stephen and Andy. So Stephen, what would you consider? This is similar to the last question, but I think it's a little different, a little nuanced. What would you consider to be the most important factor when it comes to successful implementation and adoption? Because if folks don't adopt it, what do you got? Implementation and adoption of warehouse robotics in an operation. What would that be? I would have to lean on making the solution your own. So we talked a lot about the productization. So there's solutions in the market that weren't specifically developed for your business. But when you look at the entire solution, it's got to be, it can't be a shiny new object that, you know, you're trying to fit into a hole that doesn't exist. It's got to be something that is created to solve your business problems. The more that it's solving your business problems, the more buy-in you're going to get, the easier the implementation. Completely agree, Stephen. Great point. Andy, what would you say is the, the most important factor when it comes to successful imp implementation and adoption? It may seem a bit counterintuitive, but I think it's very important to have this curiosity and this inquisitiveness. It kind of goes to Steve's point a little bit as well. But even if you're not an expert in the field, it, it's kind of like being a, a, a you know proponent for your own healthcare, right? I mean, this is a big deal, and so spend the time to become educated, understand how it's going to connect to your business problem. You know, and what those benefits will really be, what the impacts are that you expect. So, so put in the time, put in the effort. You can still utilize the product approach, but it can be configured for your business to solve your business problems. You know, take it seriously. The companies that are the most involved and that put in the, the highest amount of effort, really educate themselves, tend to be the ones that have the best outcomes. I would add, I bet everyone agrees here. Knowing what the business problem is. What you referenced a couple of times there, Andy. All right. So, Kevin, we got some great advice yeah, yeah. there in the last segment with Stephen and Andy. Your thought there before we move and make sure folks know how to connect with our guests. So, when you hear uh, the title of, you know, robotics and, and distribution centers, it makes you conjure up, you know, a trailblazer in, in the industry. But it's counterintuitive because you don't need to be a trailblazer in robotics to be successful because it's been done before. The solutions are out there. They've been designed. They've been proven. So there's, you know, as uh, Andy and Stephen had said, it's not an IT project. It's not a science project, right? It, 
you know, there are many options out there. You need to pick the one that focuses on your specific business needs and requirements to deliver the ROI that you need. So it's not being a trailblazer. It's being a smart business person. (laughs) Well said, Kevin. Well said. Okay. We have had quite the conversation here today. Really have enjoyed our time. Let's make sure folks, uh, you know, Stephen and Andy, I bet folks are going to be, they're always chopping at the bit to sit down and talk with Kevin. But Stephen and Andy, I bet folks are going to want to break bread with you and pick your brain a little more. And who knows, maybe collaborate with y'all and what you're up to. So let's make sure they know how to connect. So Stephen Osborne, Managing Director at Accenture. How can folks connect with you, Stephen? Yeah, LinkedIn is probably the best way if I haven't met you before. But you know, as I said, we got an MHE conference coming up. That's a great opportunity to connect face-to-face as well. Outstanding. Or maybe on a lake somewhere across Georgia as you and the three yep. kids are surfing, <laughs> surfing past. Is that right? I give free advice if you put me on a boat. Oh, wow. <laughs> Love that, Stephen. Yeah, how about that, Kevin? Sounds like a deal. Yes. Andy Williams, Executive Vice President of Sales, North America at Exotech. Andy, really have enjoyed what you and Stephen have brought here today. How can folks connect with you, Andy? They can go to our website, exotech.com. They can connect to us on LinkedIn. Feel free to reach out to me personally on LinkedIn as well. And we're pretty easy to get connected to. I bet. I really appreciate y'all's perspective and the kind of the altitude that y'all took here today. Really, I feel like, Kevin, that we've really been able to put our finger on the pulse of what's going on by two experts here in the wide, wonderful world of warehouse automation, robotics, and then some. But Kevin, your final thought, and then I want to make sure folks know how to connect with you and all the cool things you're up to at Digital Transformers. Well, you know, it's kind of weird, right? They're be talking about digital transformation but you don't need to be a trailblazer. I like that, right? You just have to be smart about your business to be successful when you are implementing robotics in your distribution center. I think that's an important point. Know your business, know what you need. Don't make it a science project or an IT project. And for as far as a digital transformers, Stephen and Andy are transforming their industry. I would, you know, these are the exact type of people that we'd like to showcase on Digital Transformers and that we do showcase every month on our show. You can always find us on Supply Chain Now. That's right. And wherever you get your podcast <laughs> from, Kevin, I think it's obligatory to have a podcast conversation yes. and have to fit that in somewhere. So folks, <laughs> tune in to Digital Transformers with Kevin L. Jackson, wherever you get your podcast from. And of course, thanks for tuning in here to Supply Chain Now. So big thanks, Stephen Osborne with Accenture. Stephen, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was great. You bet. Andy Williams with Exotech. Thanks so much, Andy. Thank you, Scott. I really enjoyed the conversation. Absolutely. And Kevin L. Jackson, one heck of a conversation. Thanks for being my co-pilot here today, Kevin. Yeah, I had to take a few notes. I like that. Thank you very much, Stephen and Andy. Learned a lot. Absolutely. All right, folks. So picking up on what Kevin just shared there, we all learned, I bet, something, maybe 18 things through today's (laughs) conversation. But now the onus is on you to do something with that, right? Deeds, not words, right? Your team will appreciate it your team that really wants to be successful, let's empower them as leaders to make it easier for them to achieve all they want to achieve in their day-to-day. So with that said, on behalf of the entire team here at Supply Chain Now, Scott Luton, challenging you, do good, get forward, be the change that's needed, and we'll see you next time right back here at Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at SupplyChainNow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.